0: On this Summer Sunday, we have um, a succinct psalm as our text for the sermon. It's Psalm 133. It's part of the lectionary passages for this day. We listen for God's Word as it comes from Psalm 133. How very good and pleasant it is when kindred live together in unity... It's like the precious oil on the head running down upon the beard, on the beard of Aaron running down over the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord ordained his blessing, life forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Most of us like jokes, right? Here's a joke that has been voted one of the best religious jokes of all time. It comes from comedian Emo Phillips. Once there was this guy who was standing on a bridge about to jump off and commit suicide. Another guy comes up to him and says, don't do it. The guy on the bridge says, nobody loves me. The second guy says, God loves you. Do you believe in God? He says, yes. So the second guy asks him, are you a Christian or are you a Jew? He says, I'm a Christian. (laughs) Me too, says the guy. Protestant or Catholic? Protestant, the second guy says. Me too. What franchise? (laughs) He says, Baptist. Me too. Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? He says, Northern Baptists, me too, he says, and this went on. Northern Conservative Baptists or Northern Liberal Baptists? He says, Northern Conservative Baptists, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region or Northern Conservative Baptist Eastern Region? He says, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region. And the guy says, me too. And then asks, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879 or Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912? And the guy looked at him and said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. And the second guy paused and he looked at him with suspicion and he said, die, you heretic. (laughs) And actually, he pushed him off the bridge. <laughs> Whenever we hear that story, we laugh out loud. But the more we think about it, we may be laughing in order to keep us from crying. Right? Because the story's point is a very sad truth. From its inception, the church of God's people, the people who follow Jesus Christ have been scarred with this human tendency to divide and separate and criticize and even attack one another. And this always brings out the very worst in us. Too often in our zeal to do God's work, we do the opposite of God's work. Presbyterians are no exception. That's a joke about Baptist, but Presbyterians are guilty of the same thing. Ours is a history of splits and reunions and Divisions and separations, and just this week, our general presbyter in the presbytery of James sent out a note urging us to pray for the church, especially in these days, especially for those churches in our presbytery who might be thinking of leaving the PC USA. See, even in these days, there are issues that separate us and divide us. How do we interpret the Bible? How do we welcome people into our midst? What standards do we have for officers and ministers and how do we talk about that and even how do we worship and these things can separate us, even grow in us, disdain and suspicion or something worse. And it doesn't take a genius to figure out that the decline of the influence of Our churches, the decline of our influence, of our congregations, and our culture just might be directly related to this tendency to fuss and then divide and subdivide. Instead of reaching out to love in one another, we focus on our differences even as we're hanging off the bridge. Instead of proclaiming the power of God in our midst, we spend our energy on power politics Instead of feeding hungry souls who are sitting in our pews, instead of feeding hungry stomachs that are all around our world, we fight for victories and battles that polarize us and pale in seeming importance of what God's calling us to be about. The gospel of love and forgiveness and hope and unity and peace, peace for the whole world. No wonder we hear people say so often, I'm spiritual, but I'm really not very religious. And what that usually means is that they've been worn out by the politics. They've been frustrated by the divisions. They've been fed up with what looks like or supposed to be community within the church rather than nurtured and blessed and given love and given life by God's Spirit working through the church and through Christian community. And yet what's so odd about that statement, I'm spiritual but not very religious, what's ironic about that statement is that the very word religious, the word itself means to bind together, to bring people together with God and with one another. Every person in the Bible somehow becomes part of covenant community, when God calls people, when God relates to people in any way, when God's spirit is at work in our midst, God is shaping us with other people in community. Whenever God gives life in whatever fashion, our new life, in whatever fashion, that life involves always life with others. It's true. Psalm 133, in a very succinct manner, reflects what God intends for us. Behold how good and pleasant it is when kindred dwell together in unity. It's putting in song, it's putting in poem, what's all through the scriptures. Community for God's people is essential. There's really no solitary spiritual life We're always called to life with others. As much as we might wish for it, the Bible knows nothing of religion that is defined by what a person does inwardly or intellectually only. In the early church, when people were tending or wanting to go off on their own and do their own thing, pursue personal spiritual lives, the Apostle Paul was pretty direct, calling them back to common life calling them back to life in community. And when Jesus is asked about the greatest commandment, and you've heard it twice today from the children and from the first lesson, he states it well. Love God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And just before we run off to our own private religions trying to do that, he rivets a second commandment right to it. And love your neighbor. As you love yourself. See, our faith has always been connected with others. As we come in this place, as we sit in our pews and pray our personal prayers from our deepest hearts, as we sing, as we celebrate life together, we all have to engage each other with our gifts, with our talents, with our struggles, with our failures. This is not just an inconvenient necessity of faith. It's the way it's supposed to be. People together in community. That means the magical moments that we discover together. The mysterious moments filled with God's spirit and present. That means the beautiful times when we say that's God at work. And it also means those challenging moments where we're not at our best Ugly moments that include really our sinfulness. It's all of that together. And as a way to encourage us, and as a way to keep working on us, and as a way to keep calling forth our very best, the psalmist says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when kindred dwell together in unity. See, we're kindred. Because God has made us God's people together. We're kindred because God is our connection. We're kindred, and how beautiful it is when we're called to be in community and it looks like unity together. Now, lest we think this is just some idealistic perspective from the scriptures, I invite you to think about with me some recent studies that have come from tests from science, and other places around the world which all seem to prove that warm social ties, that significant connections with others, sincere, secure relationships in community actually can save our lives. Warm social ties, secure relationships, sincere connections in community are proving to boost our immune systems. They are pr- proving to improve our quality of life. They are demonstrating that they give lower risk from cancer, lower risk for coronary artery disease, lower risk for other physical and mental health conditions. In fact, studies show that the lack of social support, the lack of sincere Connections may be a partial reason for the difference in the health statistics between men and women. Men tend to die earlier than women. You know this. Some are concluding that it's related to the fact that men tend to nurture fewer close relationships and keep distance from community, unlike women. Men tend to have professional colleagues, but not as many close friends. Men may be professionally or materially overloaded, but relationally anorexic. In contrast to women, male talk is noticeably lacking of connectional language or relational speech. Men do not do as well as women at nurturing each other. And you know what? Jesus asked both men and women, what does it profit a person To gain the whole world and lose your soul. What does it profit us if we gain the whole world and spend all of our lives at an office? What does it profit us if we gain the whole world and do not know our children or do not recognize our sister who's on the pew next to us? What does it profit us if we gain all the things that we might think we want and we lack in the possibilities of joy Insecure social connections, meaningful relationships. What does it profit us if we gain the whole world but never have a best friend? Psalm 133 is not just a nice idea. Psalm 133 is another effort by God to help give us life. Save our lives even. Psalm 133 has two powerful images that invite us, challenge us in this idea of building community and nurturing life together. This first image describes community as, quote, The precious oil on the head running down upon the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down over the collar of his robes. That's what it says. This is a depiction of Exodus 29 and the ordination of Aaron as the priest for God's people and other priests too. It involves oil on the head, running down on the face, on the beard. Oil, as you might guess, is a sign of God's presence, a symbol of God's spirit. It's all through the Bible used, and oil, as you know, glistens and it picks up light and it accentuates light on the skin and it even softens our skin. Oil and God's presence and the Spirit of God symbolized like this intend to soften us and create community and open us to one another and bring us life and peace. Impossibility, and, and this is a stark contrast to the cold surfaces with which we live. This is a stark contrast to the icy edges that carry us through many days. This is a stark contrast to the hard edges that our world encourages from us. This image, oil, softness light glistening on our skin, symbols of God's presence, all of them, all of these images want to show us the way to be with one another. Gracious, not callous, filled with God's spirit, not cold and calculating, accommodating, not alienating, as we too often tend to be. And more than that, this oil, this oil that softens us, this oil that reminds us of God's presence and spirit is also a marking, a marking as a priest. God's anointed. That's who we are. That's who Aaron was. That's who all the priests were. That's who we all are in God's realm. Like Aaron in Exodus, we're all anointed by God's spirit to see one another as truly related Kindred, to look at one another as truly brother and truly sister. When we see each other as anointed, when we see each other as brother and sister, when we seek to represent God to the other, then all of our relationships are changed and community community emerges, life emerges. There's a second image, too, in this short passage. Community and life together is, quote, like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, it says. Hermon is the highest mountain in the whole region of that area. Over 9,000 feet. It dominates the Lebanon range, which is at the northern part of Israel. The higher mountains, the more dew. You know this. It's true everywhere. The dew covers. The dew refreshes. Heavy dew brings hope. Heavy dew brings renewal. Heavy dew brings vitality to the land and to the people and to the world. The point is powerful. When we recognize the importance of community and life together, when people know that life is about life together and nurturing relationships, and building connections, not just getting a certain way or claiming victory, it, like dew, brings refreshment. It brings vitality. It brings hope. It brings possibility. Instead of seeing others as rivals or antagonists, wherever we find ourselves, or instead of living in the world as we versus they, which is so much how we operate, and so much of what we hear about, we seek to be priests. Priests to each other. And like the dew of Hermon, this leads to life and light and hope and a more wholesome world. When are we going to figure this out? And shouldn't the church be leading the way? Shouldn't it? This recent week I revisit a book that I read about five years ago. It's a book called The Irresistible Revolution. It's written by a young guy who's gaining some prominence around our country and even around the world. His name is Shane Claiborne. I've referred to him before. In this book, Shane Claiborne talks about living in India with the mothers of the missionaries of charity and Mother Teresa in Calcutta. Part of his work, volunteering there, had him helping in what's called Home for the Destitute and Dying, where the poorest of the poor were cared for in their final moments and days of life. Mother Teresa often said, we can do really no great things, just small things with great love. It's never how much you do, but how much love you put into doing it. Well, Claiborne remarks that those dying people, poorest of the poor, and in their last moments of life, they were the most vibrant people he had ever encountered in his life. When he looked into their eyes, he felt like he was meeting God. It was sacred, he says. It was mystical, he says. Over and over, he says, the dying would whisper one word into his ear. The word was namaste. Namaste. We don't really have a word like that in English or even in our Western conception. Namaste means, I honor the Holy One in you. I honor the Holy One that lives in you. That's what it means to be priest to each other. We're set apart to serve God and we're set apart to serve in the world. And that means in every encounter where we find ourselves, we mediate. The presence, the love, the light, the joy, the possibilities, the mysteries of God as priests to each other. We seek to live and strive for community, to truly embody God's presence and God's possibilities and purposes in our midst. It's what we're called to be about. The psalmist says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when kindred dwell together in unity. If not now, when? If not who? It's us. If it's not us, then who? Thanks be to God. This is our calling. May God's Spirit bless us, cover us, guide us, and move us to be instruments of healing and hope everywhere we find ourselves and across our globe. Amen. Let us pray. Loving God, pour out your Spirit on each of us. Reclaim us for sacred work following Jesus. Building community. Promoting your reign. The people of God say...